let the little ones go. I always pray and debate in my mind what to share during the church hour. I was going to preach a message on gluttony, but Brother Haug told me I better not. So Brother Haug and I are both kind of living large, so I, I'm not going to touch gluttony this morning, okay? The 23rd Psalm has been, uh, I've been told, there's three to 400 sermons on the 23rd Psalm. And it is a very, very, very good psalm. Usually, pastors reserve the 23rd Psalm for a funeral. But there are other ways that you and I can use the 23rd Psalm that would be beneficial and helpful to the church. Now, I have found in my years of church experience that there's three things that are a must for a church to succeed. Uh, church people must pray together. If they don't pray together, the church is not going to make it. And for a church, a New Testament, Bible-preaching, gospel-reaching church, for it to stay together, you've got to study the Word of God. You've got to get good preaching in. There, there can't be preaching that just tickles the ears and doesn't move the people. There has to be strong preaching and there has to be strong prayer. And there needs to be a strong emphasis on those. But there also needs to be a strong, strong emphasis on witnessing together. And uh, I really think that most churches lack in this area. The percentage of people that really reach others with the gospel is very, very small. And it's either because we're intimidated or we're scared or we're out of practice or, hopefully this is not the case, we're ashamed of the gospel. And we don't want to share it with anybody else. And so... Uh, I want to share with you today a message that I hope will be helpful for you so that you can not be intimidated and not be afraid to share with those around you. If I were to ask you to raise your hands and say how many of you have a coworker, or a classmate or a friend or a neighbor who's lost, you'd probably all raise your hands. I know somebody. Well, God put you in their life. He didn't put me in their life. He put you in their life for a reason, and that is you might, that you might be a living epistle, that you might be a representation of a good translation of the gospel to them. And uh, if you don't do that, then my, the fundamental question is why? Why not? Now this particular psalm has been used by so, so many people when we see the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and we need to realize our lost condition, of course, and we need to get our wanters fixed. The second verse, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures, he leadeth me beside the still waters. And we need to realize that we, before we're saved, we're in a lost state. We're at a great loss. And uh, funerals are one of the things that have helped me fix my focus. When you go to a funeral, you always think about the person that died and you say, I wonder where they are now. Funerals help us realize that we, we need to sometimes be laid down in green pastures and we need to be led beside still waters. He restoreth my soul, it says in verse 3, leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And uh, we need to recognize that the Lord 
wants to lead us. And uh, I think the word lead is mentioned twice in the 23rd Psalm. We haven't sung it for a while in this church, but in the church I was raised in, we sang it all the time. We sang the hymn, He leadeth me, O blessed thought, O words with heavenly comfort fraught. Whatever I do, wherever I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. Sometimes mid scenes of deepest gloom, sometimes where Eden's bowers bloom, by water still or troubled sea, still tis his hand that leadeth me. Lord, I would clasp thy hand in mine, nor ever murmur, nor repine. Content whatever lot I see, since tis my God that leadeth me. I wonder sometimes if he really leads us as much as we, we know he should lead us. Because we're busy following everybody else. We're following everything else. Verse 4 says, And when my task on earth is done, when by thy grace thy victory is won, even death's cold wave, I will not flee, since God through Jordan leadeth me. And then the chorus, he leadeth me, he leadeth me. By his own hand he leadeth me. His faithful follower I would be, for by his hand he leadeth me. Without prayer, without good study of God's word, and without sharing the gospel with other people, we're really not following as he tries to lead us. If you go on in verse number 4, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. We not only need to realize that drowning men need a lifeguard, and men are lost in their condition without Christ, we need to recognize the Lord's leadership, we all, but we also need to recognize his love and care and his companionship when we're in trouble, when we're in that valley of the shadow of death. In verse 5, he says, uh, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. Some people go through life focusing on the bottom half of the cup. And they're the pessimists. And then there's some that focus on the top half, the, the, the cup that's half full on the top, and, and they're the optimist. But the 23rd Psalm says that our cup runs over. And as believers in Christ, we ought to be bubbling, bubbling over with God's goodness. And if we're not bubbling over with God's goodness, why would anybody want what we have? So it's very, very important that we uh, allow the Lord to help us in this area. And we need to receive Him as Savior. We need to count on His presence and His provision for us when we're in trouble. In verse uh, 6 ends by saying, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, if that isn't eternal security, nothing is. I mean, we as a church body, we believe in eternal security. Once you're saved, you're saved. Jesus paid it all. It's not something you have to do. It's something that he has done. And we're saved forever. What a promise. What a precious, precious promise that is. You know, our security in the Lord is only as strong as our connect to his promises. The more we connect to the word of God, the more security we have, the more confidence we have. And without that connection, we have none. Well, this psalm is just loaded with stuff. In verse 1, we're taught that he's our shepherd. In verse 2, we're taught that he's our leader. 
In verse 3, we're taught that he's our restorer. In verse 4, we're taught that he's our comforter. In verse 5, we t we're taught that he's our filler. He fills us with the Holy Ghost. And believe it or not, in verse 6, we're taught that he's our follower. He follows us with his goodness and his mercy. You know, we thought we were always following him, but he's all around us. He really is. John Phillips, in his book, Discovering the Psalms, in particular the 23rd Psalm, the psalm can divided, be divided up into three categories. It can talk about our frailty, how much we need him, our foes, that would be our enemies, and our future. We dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a good sermon. I'm not going to preach it, but that's a good sermon. He also has a message that this particular psalm can be divided up into three categories. The happy life, a happy death, and a happy future, which is also a very good message, which I'm not going to preach this morning. In the 23rd Psalm, we realize that God is the author of everything. He is the great creator. And in the 23rd Psalm, we realize that he cares deeply for us, especially deeply for us as believers. And this is a message we need to share with our lost neighbors and friends and co-workers. And then we also realize that his word is a sure word. It's a word we can count on. And he calls us to trust in him so we, like David, can have a home in heaven forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to give you today just some questions you might ask your lost friends the next time you see them as you open up the 23rd Psalm and talk to them. But let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness to each of us. Thank you for this great psalm. And Lord, I don't want to do injustice to us, so I need your help. Help me to share what's vital and important and useful, and help me to leave out those things that are not vital and important and useful. And Lord, we pray this morning as your spirit speaks to us that we would leave here a changed people, a people that are charged up a little bit to share the gospel with others. We leave here a people thankful that we know you as our Savior and Lord. Help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a friend, had a, I think he's still alive. His name is Dave. I first met Dave in the county jail in Thief River Falls. And my goal was to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. So I did. I took him down the Romans road. Did my dead level best to try to make him see his, his lost condition. I did my dead level best to make him see that God really loved him if nobody else did. I did my bed le dead level best to see that he needed to repent and turn from his wicked ways and trust Christ. And I said, Dave, would you like to pray and receive Christ? John 1.12, but as many as received him to them, gave you power to become the sons of God. And after about a half hour discussion of those things, Dave said, I'd like to do that. So he bowed his head and he, and he made a profession of faith. He made a profession of faith. 
Dave's wife's name was Martha. Martha was from Old Mexico, and she could not speak English. Because Dave had made a decision to trust the Lord, I went to Martha's house to share the gospel with her. And I remember talking to her very sweetly and seriously about the Lord. She could not understand. Uh, she could not speak English, but she could understand English. And so as I read the verses in English, I said, do you understand them? And she would nod her head and say, yes, I do. And so I took her down the Romans road. And I asked her to, if she'd like to pray and, and trust the Lord. And I'll never forget, she said, she said, Pastor, she says, I lost a baby in a miscarriage. And she said, will my baby be in heaven that I lost? And I said, from what I know of God's word, your baby is assured of heaven. But I can tell you this, if you don't get saved, you won't see your baby. But if you do get saved, you will. And in tears, she also prayed and wept and asked Jesus to be her Savior. She also made a profession of faith. The interesting thing about that couple is was within two weeks, maybe a month, I went back to the jail and lo and behold, Dave was back in jail. And I said, Dave, I thought you got saved. I thought you knew how to live for Jesus. What is your problem? And Dave, you know, Dave was quiet. He goes like this. He shrugs his shoulders. He says, I don't know. See, Dave made a profession, but there was no Holy Spirit possession. He mouthed it with his lips, but he didn't get it in his liver, actually, his heart. And how many people you and I know that they say they know Christ, but the liver isn't matching up. The heart isn't matching up. Now his wife really made a serious profession of faith, and she started showing up in church, and she grew, and she always had her Bible, and she always wanted to know more. Her profession was real. His was not. Well, since I had already shared with Dave the Romans road, I thought... Lord, now what am I going to do? And the Lord said, take him to the 23rd Psalm and walk him through the 23rd Psalm. See if he gets it. So that's what I did. I went to the 23rd Psalm and I said, Dave, let's go over this again. Make sure you get it right. See, Dave thought that by just acknowledging Christ, that everything was okay. David really needed to see that he had to put his heart, soul, and mind into trusting the God of the Bible. He had to see that. So I started out in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. And I said, Dave, the Lord is mine. I know he's my shepherd. The question is, is he yours? The psalmist didn't say the Lord was everybody's shepherd. The psalmist said the Lord is my shepherd. But see, that's what a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is all about. It's not the Lord is a shepherd, because that just makes him like any other shepherd. It's not that the Lord was the shepherd, that'd be like the leader of the United States or the leader of Russia. Doesn't mean I'm going to follow them. But when I say he's my shepherd, now I've got somebody to follow. 
And I said, Dave, it's not a matter of you understanding that he's a shepherd. The fundamental question is, is he your shepherd? Have you let him be your lover and your leader? If you haven't, then you're not saved. And I said, I hate to be mean, but if you want to end up in an orange jumpsuit visiting the county jail for the rest of your life, you've got to get this right. The Lord will help you. The Lord will... He will tackle your problems one by one. You won't change everything overnight. Nobody does. But over time, if you stay in his word, he'll clean you up and he'll make you a useful vessel. Is he truly your shepherd? The word Lord here in the first verse is actually the Old Testament word Jehovah. It's the same as Jesus in the New Testament. When Jesus in the New Testament told the scribes and Pharisees, he says, I am the I am. He was saying that I am in charge of the past, the present, and the future. And when the name Jehovah was used in the Old Testament, it meant the same thing. Jehovah God was in charge of the past, and the present, and the future. We can't, we can't believe in the Jesus of the New Testament and deny the Jesus of the Old Testament. He was there. He's all over the Old Testament. We don't see those exact names Jesus, but he's there. And in that name, Jehovah, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus is my shepherd, David was actually saying. Because God the Father and God the Son are one. And because Jesus was the shepherd, he says, my wanter got fixed. The last part of verse 1 says, I shall not want. When I got saved, my wanter got fixed. Before I was saved, all I wanted to do was dumb things. I... I I loved alcohol. But when I got saved, my wanter got fixed. I don't want it anymore. I'm free to drink it. I'm free to buy it. But I don't want it anymore. The Lord fixed my wanter. Dave, he'll fix your wanter. I know you want to do other things. And I know you don't want to be in jail. But if you want your wanter fixed, you have to make the Lord your Savior. You have to make sure that he is your shepherd. And not just a shepherd. Make sure you have chosen him and trusted him. I said, Dave, drowning men need a lifeguard. You know, it's interesting. Men usually grasp the funny stories and the illustrations that I share. And women usually get the whole outline. I don't know why that is. But I decided I would tell Dave a story about little boys and girls swimming in a swimming pool. I said, Dave, if there's 20 kids swimming at the pool at the Holiday Inn, which one calls for the lifeguard? He said, well, that would be the one that's drowning. I said, exactly. And the other 19 are just playing games. Well, the Lord wants to save us. And he can't save us till we realize we're drowning in ourself. We're drowning in our sin. We're drowning without him. So we're like the little kid in the pool that realizes I can't drink the whole pool. I've got, to, I've got to ask the lifeguard to save me. I've got to get rescued. I said, Dave, the Lord really wants to save your soul, but you've got to recognize that you're drowning without him. Now, verse number two, I said, Dave, let's look at verse two. He, that would be the Lord, maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. First question, I said, Dave, do you really follow Jesus? Is he really your shepherd? The second question I asked him is, who else 
will share his whole life with you. Jesus will. And Jesus will share everything that he has with us if we will just open up our hearts and receive it. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Dave, maybe the Lord put you in jail so you wouldn't be around your friends and the television and the newspaper and everybody else. Maybe the Lord put you in jail because he wants you to lie down in green pastures. He wants you to grab a Bible and start reading it. Maybe the Lord put you in jail because he wants to put you beside still waters. Most of you know that I got saved at age 30. And prior to that, I did a lot of foolish things in the military and what have you. Every once in a while, I go back to my hometown, either for a funeral or for a reunion of sorts. And I see some of my old high school buddies. And they say, Forsberg, what are you doing these days? And I say, well, I'm... I'm a preacher trying to retire. I'm very tired, but I'm trying to retire. And they said, you're a preacher? What in the world happened? And I said, well, do you want the long story or the short story? I can give you the answer in one word. Or I can take two hours and tell you how I became a preacher. And they usually say, we don't have time for a two-hour sermon. Give us the short version. And I tell them, the one-word answer to my being in the ministry is funerals. Funerals. If you have been to the same funerals I've been to, you'd be a preacher too. Funerals have a way of causing us to lie down in green pastures. And funerals have a way of leading us beside still waters. Funerals help us focus right. Because prior to a funeral, life is just a game. But if that funeral is for somebody that you love... A cousin my age was a few years younger than me, killed by a drunk driver. Another friend died at age five with brain cancer. Another friend died. Two of my military buddies committed suicide. Funerals fix your focus. Dave, Dave, you want to stand in an orange jumpsuit? What's it going to take to get you to grow up? And let the Lord lead you. And let the Lord be your Savior. And Dave said, um, I guess I better shape up a little bit. I said, the Lord laid me. He humbled me. I said, and if you're not careful, He's going to humble you. Who else will share His whole life with you but Jesus? Jesus will. Make Him your shepherd. Verse number 3. Not only did I ask Dave, do you follow Jesus? Who else but Jesus will share his whole life with you? I also asked Dave, I said, who else can bring back your soul and lead us in the right direction? Look at verse 3. He, that's the Lord, he restoreth my soul. He leadeth me. There's a word leading again. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know, Sheep are not the brightest critters in the world because sheep have a tendency to wander and get lost and sheep need rescuing. You know, a lion is a pretty smart animal. They know how to get lunch. A bear or a deer, a bear is also swift, but a deer is a very swift animal. They know how to run and run fast. 
And a dog is pretty smart. I'm surprised what you can teach a dog. I had a carpenter friend, he taught a dog to learn most of his tools. He'd say, hey Rover, go get my level. And that dog had it all figured out. His dog would retrieve his level. You ever try to get a sheep to retrieve anything? Doesn't happen. And we are sheep. And he is the shepherd. And we need his help. And when our soul and our body and our life goes in the wrong direction, he restores it. He brings us back. That's what revival is all about. Bringing us back to his truth. Bringing us back to his way. Leading us in paths that are right instead of paths that are wrong. Leading us for his sake. Verse number three. Verse number four. Dave, let's look at verse four. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I asked the question to Dave. I said, Dave, who else can turn your enemies into shadows? You know, the shadow of a dog can't bite you. The shadow of a sword can't stab you, can't kill you. The shadow of a sword can't kill you. And the shadow of death can't kill you. And as believers, we have the Lord's presence. That's why we don't have to be afraid of death. That's why a lot of believers aren't first in line to get their COVID shot. We graduate to heaven. He said, well, that doesn't make sense. I'm, I'm just telling you. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a vaccine donor. I, I'm, if, if, if God gets me in, in the next few minutes and I fall over dead with a stroke or heart attack, I am going to glory. Now, I don't want to be, I don't want to cause trouble here. I don't want to cause commotion. But death does not scare me. Sometimes the process right before death, that's a little nervy. <laughs> but death itself is nothing for the Christian to fear. Because verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Nothing can harm me. And so uh, only the Lord can do that. And only by God's presence uh, can He comfort us with His rod and His staff. Now there's different professors and there's different pastors that come up with different conclusions conclusions regarding the rod and the staff but I think the rod and the staff are a great picture of the word of God now it is also a picture of the staff that Moses had when the people were led out of Egypt I understand that but I see as a New Testament believer that God's rod and staff is very much his word because his word pricks my conscience and straightens me out when I do wrong and his word comforts and encourages me when I do right. And that's why I have the confidence that the valley of the shadow of death is something that I may have to go through, and you may have to also, but it's not something that we should be scared to death of, no pun intended. I was almost done with Dave, and I went to verse number 5. I said, Dave, look at this. Verse 5 says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. 
As believers, our cups are not half full or half empty. They are running over when the Holy Spirit power. We need to realize that. Who but our shepherd, our Lord, our Savior, who can supply us with a manual, with a table, with a tablet, with the Word of God? Who can supply us better than our Savior with the Holy Spirit to finish this life with? You know, the saddest part about getting old is you, you, you forget more things and you make a few more mistakes. And when you forget more things and make a few more mistakes, you, you start feeling pretty useless. But one thing I'm sure of, and that is the 23rd Psalm, is that is the Holy Spirit's here to help me till I make my last step. And, and the Lord is here to help me with His Word to give me confidence and to give me hope until I make my last step. And each step I take is a, is a blessing from heaven and it's a blessing from His Word. Then we went to verse 6. I'd ask Dave, do you really follow Christ? I said, Dave, who can, who can share his whole life with you like Jesus can? I said, Dave, who, who can lead us to do right? Who can turn our enemies into shadows? I said, Dave, who but our Savior can give us a manual, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, to finish our walk on earth? And the last question I asked Dave was, I said, Dave, who else can take care of our steps and stumbles but goodness and mercy? Look at verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a promise. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He gives it to us. And we read in the word of God that no man can pluck us out of his hands. We're in. We're his. He's the keeper. He's the saver. He's the keeper of our soul. And the closer we connect with God's Word, the more we believe that. You know, uh, not only do songs like He Leadeth Me and funerals fix my focus, but uh, I need the Lord's help for my difficult days. About every once in seven years, you're going to face a trial that's difficult to get over. Just get used to it. They've done studies on this. About every seven years, you're either going to lose somebody you love dearly, or you're going to have a tragedy in your, your own life. You're going to lose a limb or something. You're going to have something heavy, heavy to deal with. And that's why we need to make the Lord our shepherd. That's why we need to get saved. That's why we need to learn to do our best to behave. I told Dave, I said, Dave, I, I don't know what to tell you, but if there were two dogs, a black dog and a white dog, and they got in a fight, which dog would win? He looks at me and he says, I don't know. I, I said, well, take a guess. Which dog would win, the black dog or the white dog? He's well, in the movies, usually the, the white guys win and the, and the black guys don't. He says, I'm going to say white. So he said white dog. And I said, well, that's not true. I said, Dave, the dog that's going to win is the one you feed. I said, when you leave jail next week, if you feed on your drunken friends, and you feed on your bad movies and your bad morals and your bad behavior, then you're feeding the wrong dog. But if you get out of jail in a week and you start going to church and you start loving your wife properly and you start taking care of your kids properly... You start giving to the Lord and going to church, you watch. You're feeding the right dog. You're feeding the white. 
The dog that wins is the one we feed. Dave says, oh, I see. And I said, furthermore, Dave, I said, you've got to be the kind of individual that puts his whole trust, immerses his whole self into God's Word. I closed my little time with him with an illustration I'll share with you. I hope I can get through it quickly because I know you want to go. But it's important that you see this. The story is told of a young man at he was in the state of New York and he was trying to earn money to go to to go to college. And to earn money to go to college, he set up a scaffold on each side of Niagara Falls. So he had a scaffold on this side and a scaffold on this side, and he stretched a wire across. And what he would do to make money is he'd put a little coffee can on the scaffold and when he'd walk across Niagara Falls, people would applaud and put money in the coffee can. So he did that one weekend. When he was done, he said, you all come back next week because I, I, I got a new part to my, to my act. Well, the following week, he came back and he put up his scaffold. He stripped the wire across, but this time he's got a wheelbarrow. And he says, watch this. And he stands on that wire and he grabs that wheelbarrow and he takes that wheelbarrow all the way across and all the way back again. And of course the people, they were impressed. So they clapped their hands and they put money in the coffee can. And he said, come back next Sunday. It's my final show. He said, I got, a, I got a special treat for you next Sunday. So they all go home. They all tell their friends. Next Sunday the crowd is even bigger. The fellow sets up the scaffold on one side. On the other side stretches the wire across the top. He gets up on the scaffold and he's got his wheelbarrow. He looks over the crowd of people that have gathered and he says, I got a couple questions for you. He says, how many of you believe that I can walk across this tightrope across Niagara Falls without falling to my death? Raise your hand. And they all raised their hand. A few didn't because they were skeptics and they hadn't seen him before. So they, were, they didn't think he'd make it. They were probably hoping he'd fall. He says, second question. How many of you think I can put a person inside the wheelbarrow and wheel him across without both of us falling to our death? How many of you think I can do it? And they said, well, this guy's pretty good. He did it once, did it twice. I think he can do it. So the, most of them kept their hand up. I believe you can do it. I believe you can do it. He said, he said I got one more question for you. He said, I need a volunteer to get in a wheelbarrow. Now, what do you think happened to all those hands? Down they went. I said, Dave, Heaven's over here. Jesus is over here. And Jesus is driving the wheelbarrow. The wheelbarrow is the Word of God. And Jesus is looking for somebody to get in the Word of God and trust Him. Are you going to be the crowd that says, I believe, I believe, I believe, but you're not willing to surrender? Or are you going to be that one in the crowd that says, I'll do it. I'll get in your Word. I'll trust you fully. I'll trust you totally. I'll trust you completely. Dave said, I never thought of that before. I said, Dave, your little boy is probably two years old. I said, if you were driving the wheelbarrow and you said to your little boy, get in the wheelbarrow, would he do it? He said, yeah, he would. I said, that's because your little boy trusts you. I said, if you told me to get in the wheelbarrow, do you think I would? He said, no. <laughs> and I said, you're right, I wouldn't because I don't trust you. 
You see, we need the faith of a little child to trust and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to save us. We need the faith of a little child to submit and surrender to his truth, acknowledge that we can't save ourselves, realize that we need to be saved, and trust him. And then we need to immerse ourselves into the wheelbarrow of God's word so that we can maintain that confidence and maintain that security. Because if we get out of the wheelbarrow, we're in trouble. We need to stay in his word. And I said, Dave, I think tonight, two weeks ago when you prayed, you made a profession, but it never, it never took hold. I said, today, why don't we pray again? But if you're not willing to get in the wheelbarrow of God's word, don't pray, because God can see your heart. But if you really want to surrender to Christ, you get in the wheelbarrow. You ask him to save you, and he will. He'll do his part, Dave, if you do your part. And Dave said, I see it now. I see the foolishness of my decisions. I'm ready to truly get saved. And he did. And so I close by asking you the same question. Are you part of the crowd that says, I believe, I believe, I believe, but you've never really surrendered to his truth? Fully? Or are you one that's made a personal decision to say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You need to make that personal decision. Now, if you're here today, I know most people that come to church are saved and on their way to heaven. I understand that. But you got some relatives and neighbors and friends that have never heard the whole story behind the 23rd Psalm. You can start by sharing it with them. Let's stand and have a word of prayer. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Two questions this morning.